AshamiCast, episode 466, The Origins of Zero. Welcome to Astronomy Cast, our weekly facts-based journey through the cosmos, where we help you understand not only what we know, but how we know what we know. My name is Fraser Kane. I'm the publisher of Universe Today. With me is Dr. Pamela Gay, the Director of Technology and Citizen Science at the Astronomical Society of the Pacific and the Director of CosmoQuest. Hey, Pamela, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. And you are calling in from the country's capital, your country's capital. I am. Yes, my country capital. It's far warmer than yours, I think, right now. Yeah, I'm uh, near Dulles Airport at a meeting location for a collaboration meeting for everyone who receives the kind of funding that I get from NASA that is basically designed to allow us to better collaborate, keep up to date on what we're all doing, and find ways to prevent duplication of effort and spread the effort better across all of us. Perfect. And if, so if you sound a little different, that's because you're recording on your portable audio device that's sitting in front of you from your hotel Wi-Fi. This is us being incredibly flexible to make this episode happen. So I'm really glad you were able to sneak in some time to be able to make this happen. We depend on zero for our math to work right, but this number was actually invented in fairly recent times. Why do we need zero? Was it inevitable? Pamela, zero feels like one of those things that is just like part of math, like it's woven into the fabric of the cosmos. There's the middle point between the positive numbers and the negative numbers, but it's not. So if you want to be literal about it, in the Mayan not making way of recording accounting, it's literally not a not. It's not a not. What? <laughs> so one of the ways that the Mayans recorded numbers and you just like stumbled into this and gave me the best opening ever is they would actually do accounting on ropes by tying specific kinds of knots. And the way that they recorded a zero was to not have a knot there. Got it. So it was a knot knot. But they didn't know in ancient mind civilization that knot and knot would be the same sounding word used uh, hundreds of years hence in the English language. Man. It's true. Unless there is a time-traveling punster. I'm really hoping for a time-traveling punster. <laughs> right, okay. But this is just one example of a civilization coming up with this concept of zero. And that's not the only one. Like, it's people have come up with it multiple times separately, kind of like animals figuring out how to fly, right? Or eyes or things like that. And they have had to come up with the concept of zero in multiple different ways. So for instance, with the exception of the Egyptians who were weird and had hieroglyphs for everything, most systems of numbering are based something. So here in English language, using Latin alphabet and the algebra that you and I both learned in school, we count 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and then it starts over 11, 12. And these, these sets of numbers keep paralleling. I've got the computer science background, so I just count 0, 1, 0, 1, 1, 0, 0, 1, 1. You know, that's all I know. I don't believe you. <laughs> Plus, if you were a true computer scientist, you'd work in a hexadecimal. Whoa, thrown down. <laughs> now I still need a calculator to convert my hexadecimal into my binary code. 
I well, <laughs> hold on. I actually learned binary code. It's funny to totally rabbit hole here. I learned binary code when I was a little kid. Someone taught me that you could count to 32 on your just with one hand. And so you like put out your hand and you like go, you bring down one pinky, right? And that's one. And then you bring down your next finger and that's two. And then you bring down your pinky again and that's three, four, five, six, seven, eight, et cetera. And so you can actually count up in binary code on your hand. And I ended up like using that when I need to count. So I still sometimes have, have to calculate with binary code. I use my hands. I think you just explained to me how valved instruments work in a way that finally made sense. If, if they like had turned valved instruments into <laughs> binary code. Yeah, you could probably write it in binary code and that would make a ton of sense. Anyway, I totally rabbit hold this conversation. Let's go back to talking about the development of zero. So you need zero for three different positions. What I was starting to say is if you work in a base 10, a base 8, a base 20, whatever base you work on, it turns out that when you repeat, you are periodically going to have a nothing. So for instance, you have a situation where your nothing occurs. So for instance, with 10, it goes one, zero. And so what do you do when you have 104 of something? You have the ones digit, you have nothing in the tens digit, and then you have four in the ones. So it's one in the hundreds, zero in the tens, four in the ones. And this combination, what do you do if you don't have the concept of zero? So one of the original things that happened was they just basically put slashes there, angled slashes. And these two angled slashes denoted there's nada in this placeholder. But that is a different concept than the concept of nothing zero or the transition from negative amounts to positive amounts, which you start to need when you get into algebra and deficit accounting, which we should all be probably avoiding. And most of us probably aren't, especially as we enter the giving season. So why do we need zero? You know, it was developed by the Egyptians. It was developed by the Mayans. It was developed, the Greeks had their own version of it. The Babylonians. Yeah, the Chinese. The classic one that we use today is the one that was developed in the Middle East, right? By Islamic mathematicians. So it was clearly this idea that needed to happen. What do we need it for? To go back to that placeholder reference, you're doing accounting tables and you're keeping columns of numbers and some poor slob is reading along later trying to figure out how many chickens did you have. And the way you wrote 104 is one in the hundreds column, nothing at all, just a blank space in that tens column, which is what they were initially doing and then a four in that one space. Now the problem is this poor slob who's trying to deal with this stuff later, he doesn't know if you goofed and forgot to write something down or you meant you had nothing. And so that ambiguity is the kind of thing that breaks accountants and mathematicians and actuarials and all of these people who are really worried about all the numbers being right. And for early math, 
it was accounting and actuarial work. You had to know how many people you were collecting taxes from. It was that where it really mattered. And there is a difference between 194 chickens, if you forgot to write the nine down, right. and 104 chickens. And so this is where that initial just slash, slash, stab it into your cuneiform was actually quite useful. So they would put like a one for the one number and then whatever is the Sumer ancient Sumerian digit for nine, they would do that because they were still using base 10 as well, right? But they would put like a – to show that it's it's a null digit. It's not one of yeah. the nine digits. It's a not digit, but don't forget it. Right. And so this is coming from the Babylonians and it was – just basically a, we need something to shove in here to mean this placeholder place has no values in it. So that's one reason why we need a zero. That is one very good reason we need a zero. Now, the Egyptians who weren't big on base anything or having a written language that was based in an alphabet, they apparently like to make it as hard as absolutely possible to be literate. And in order to do this, the way they denoted zero was it had its own symbol, but so did every single other number. So you had number upon number upon number. It, basically, the way they refer to it is these are not positional. It's just a whole series of one, two, three is a set of symbols, 13, 14, 15 set of symbols not related to one another. You can see no resemblance between 4, 14, and 104. But these were architects. These were people who were very worried about geometry and measuring positions. And so they're the ones that came up with that concept of zero as that place that you're measuring your base from, that ground level, that zero truth. And so they had the concept of zero. They had the symbol for it. What they were missing was the positional concept. So you have the Babylonians who are actually the ones who gave us that whole crazy hours, minutes, seconds system. So they were working in sexagesimal just to make life evil. Right. Like base 60. Yeah. Which is crazy. I mean, to have a circle be broken up into 360 degrees and to have hours, like obviously, you know, have hours be broken up into some number, but have that broken up into minutes and seconds, but also measuring. So that's all the Babylonians fault? Yes. Yes, it is. Mm. Now, the Egyptians who did work in base 10, but didn't have positional math, instead had these unique symbols to make it really hard to be literate, but made very pretty writing. Their very beautiful system had the start here. This is where there is a nothing value. And what's cool is the symbol that they used actually also meant beautiful. So they considered nothing beautiful, which if you don't pause and leave a beat there has a completely different meaning. But to them, that concept of nothing was a beautiful thing. And that's cool. Yeah. So the Egyptians were using zero to try and help them with their, obviously, pyramids and whatever it is they were building. 
the Babylonians were very concerned about making sure they got all their taxes in so that they could fund their enormous armies and conquer the nearby lands. Who else was working on Zero? It was one of these things that cropped up just about everywhere in different ways. So we had them working on things in the essentially thousands BC. And what gets me is we always raise up the Greeks as the great architecture of modern culture. And so you have the Babylonians working in second millennia BC. You have the Egyptians working about the same time in second millennia BC. Flash forward to classical antiquity, by which I mean sometime after Christ. And you have the Greeks getting into a philosophical argument an existential crisis over zero. Because they didn't want to say that there was something, and by naming it, it became a thing. That was nothing. Yes. Right. Yes. So you have this horrible mental stopping point in the years after Christ where they just basically had a mental breakdown over the, but it's a thing if we give it the name, but it's a nothing. And how for 2000 years, no one had had issues in written documentation. Both the Babylonians and Egyptians appear to have gotten the concept of zero from other societies. This was not a new idea, but the Greeks had to have a mental breakdown over it because this is what the philosophical classical Greeks did when you left them alone. Right. So they resisted. Yes. And, you know, maybe considered the platonic ideal symbols for nothing, of nothingness. Ptolemy is one of the ones who actually wrote a lot on this. He was using a symbol for zero that he had borrowed from the Babylonians. Uh, he needed in his mathematical works, which is how we ended up with the Babylonian sexagesimal system for basically all of astronomy. But yes, the people in general, this was a problem. <laughs> okay. Who next? Because I think we're moving towards... Time-wise, our sort of more modern concept in the more modern society. So sort of what was some, another big development in Zero? So Fibonacci, who is by far one of my favorite, and I feel like such a nerd having a favorite ancient person who worked in the sciences. Fibonacci, who, who's one of my favorite ancient mathematicians and scientists. He's one of the ones that came up with the realization that we had all of these different mathematical series that described all of these different spiral shapes and everything. He's starting to get into the post-Charlemagne era of Europe, where it was now Italy rather than Rome. And he's responsible for basically the word zero that we currently have. Really? I didn't know that. So it is stolen from other terms. What I particularly like is you may have heard basically the hot air balloons that were called zephyrs, which comes from old roots of zephyrus, which is the west wind. And the concept of zero is a bastardization of that idea of that nothing, that wind. 
And it's out of the Venusian way of speaking that this got turned into zero. This episode of Astronomy Cast is sponsored by BarkBox. For a free extra month of BarkBox, visit BarkBox.com slash astronomy and subscribe to a six or 12 month plan. That's right. With your subscription to a six or 12 month plan of joy for your furry friend, you can get a free extra month. I've been getting Eddie BarkBox for well, over a year now. And every month we get a new themed box of toys, of treats, of all sorts of seasonal goodness that is made either here in the United States or Canada, where my husband is from. And this box reminds me I need to go pick up all the other dog toys that have been scattered in the yard. And Eddie has new toys to play with while the old ones are getting laundered. He has new treats to eat just as he runs out of treats from the prior month. Every month, there's a little bit of joy. And you can see Eddie and his joy on our Twitter channel. So check it out and see how much my dog loves BarkBox and then get one for your dog so your dog can love it too. So just to say it again, for a free extra month of BarkBox, visit BarkBox.com astronomy and subscribe to a six or 12 month plan. But when did we really see like that first zero, the shape? So the first shape of zero Actually, it goes back much, much further because it's, if you look at it and you look at the Greek concept of theta, all of these were coming out at about the same time. Again, blame Ptolemy. Blaming Ptolemy seems to be a fairly common thing to do. Don't we already blame him for messing up the solar system? Well, he was trying to do right by many things. He just didn't always succeed. Yeah. But I mean, you know, I was mentioning this earlier on in the show that a lot of the mathematics that we do today, a lot of that came from a lot of the Arabic mathematicians, especially a lot of the best astronomy came out of that, you know, out of that area. And they had a big hand in zero too, right? And one of the things that really was sort of like brain breaking that I came across while preparing for this episode. There's a really cool book that is written from kind of like a first person passion project called Finding Zero, a Mathematician's Odyssey. And it's one of those things that goes through and discusses all of the how do you track down the origins? And this includes like looking on the sides of pyramids and digging through jungles. And in the process of looking into the origins of numbers, it was realized that we often refer to our current numbering system as the Arabic Hindi system, but Arabic numbers today and Hindi numbers today look totally different. So the symbols that we're using, it's a living system. Alphabets, the way we use them, the way they look, they all change over time. And so modern Arabic, ancient Arabic, the intellectual bias towards getting at the root of things has been fairly constant in the culture, but the way the numbers look have evolved. And I just think that that's so cool. Right. Sorry, random rabbit hole. This is the episode of rabbit holes. No, 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 no. We're free to rabbit hole. What was that book again that you mentioned? <laughs> Finding Zero, what was it called? 
It's Finding Zero, A Mathematician's Odyssey to Uncover the Origins of Numbers. It's by Amir Akzel, A-C-Z-E-L. I may be pronouncing that horribly wrong. It exists both in Kindle, which is how I got it, and there's also an audio version. I recommend the Kindle because there are symbols and pictures and diagrams, and I don't want to think about what happened turning those into audio, and I love audiobooks. Get this one on Kindle or paper. Paper's a thing. So when have we sort of stabilized on our modern thinking of zero? So our modern ideas really started to percolate out during that Greek classic period. And while the philosophers were having existential crises over giving a name to something that was nothing, the mathematicians were like, we need this. We're just going to use it and move on. And by about the fifth century, it was just sort of a, okay, we're good. We've got nothing. Literally, zero. They had nothing. Right. We had nothing. And so then from that point on, we've sort of been using that modern interpretation of zero. Now, you mentioned sort of earlier on, and we were talking about this before the show, that you were sort of running through the reasons we need zero. And we've sort of glossed over them a bit. We talked about that you need a zero as a placeholder. But really, what job is zero doing in our mathematics? So mathematically, you need zero to be that thing that is between having something and having a lack of something. And the way to think about that is on payday, I have something in my bank account and hopefully a zero on my credit cards in a perfect world that I don't think has ever actually existed, but this is a goal. By the day before my next paycheck, I have significantly less in my bank account and I have possibly an amount on my credit cards that indicates a total amount of less than zero. And I'm just talking about day to day. I actually have like retirement savings. No one worry about my future out there. So you need to be able to say when somebody owes you money, you need to have this concept of negative. When you have less than the average amount of water in a lake, you need to be able to have that concept of negative. And to go from the negative numbers to the positive numbers, you have to have that point that is neither negative nor positive. And zero is that point that is neither a something or a lack of something. It is a nothing. Right. And the key being that it is an integer like one, two, three, four, five, and that it is that halfway point between one and negative one, that as you're counting from one to the other, if you don't have that zero, if you just go from one to negative one, your math is all messed up. And this is really a concept that was worked on a great deal in the seventh century in India. India is another nation that has an amazingly rich history of advancing algebra, of advancing mathematics as a theoretical framework, as well as an applied subject. And so it is really amazing all of these different nations that we don't learn about in school that are actually the reason that we have science. It's because they were advancing the maths. Were there three? Did I miss one? There was like, you need a placeholder, you need that sort of halfway point between positive and negative. 
And you also just need to be able to denote that there's a nothing, that thing that gave right. the Greeks an existential crisis. Right. So you need a zero to say, I currently have zero French fries. This is a true statement. Yes. An existential crisis. Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah. And so to be able to express that lack of French fries, I need zero. Now, if I had 12 French fries, I don't need a zero. But if instead I had skinny little shoestring French fries cut into little pieces and it turned out that I had 206 of them because I was being a French fry eating crazy person, I need the zero as a placeholder. Now, if I had a small child who, and I don't, who was like, fries, give me fries. I could say, I owe you a plate of 30 fries, which requires a placeholder. And you will get it if you behave for the duration of this recording. So say I'm speaking to an imaginary child that does not exist. I could have a deficit of 30 fries that I must somehow come up with in order to get said imaginary child to be quiet for the entirety of this episode. Again, I do not have said imaginary no. child. No, no, I understand. I, it's possible that I have run those kinds of uh, scenarios in reality. Yes, I believe this is where I learned these scenarios. <laughs> so, um, but the, uh, you know, one of the things that's very interesting about zero, and we deal with this all the time in computers, is the divide by zero. Yes. That's where zero really makes our lives miserable when that zero ends up as the denominator of a fraction. And this is something that is a new break everything of the digital age where you have to do numerical approximations to continuous functions. By which I mean, if you ever used logo in school, you knew that the way you drew a circle was you moved one step forward, tilted one degree sideways, moved one step forward. And so you approximated drawing a circle by making a polygon of 360 sides. And that is an approximation of a continuous function. A actual circle is a continuous function with infinitely small steps between each movement forward using that cosine and sine. Now, with computers, they can't handle continuous functions. They can't handle the mathematical concept of infinity. And so this is another place where, again, existential crisis related to a number, because how do you have a word for a thing you can never actually have, but yet we seem to actually like the idea of the universe being infinite is an idea. It could exist. The idea of there being infinite steps between me and my webcam, if I keep dividing the distance in half. Now, the reality is I'll eventually bang my nose into my webcam. But computers can't deal with this concept of infinity. They can deal with the concept of zero. And both are needed to have continuous functions. Right on. All right. We're out of time. Thanks, Pamela. We'll talk to you next week. Okay. My pleasure. 
Thank you for listening to Astronomy Cast, the nonprofit resource provided by Astrosphere New Media Association, Fraser Kane and Dr. Pamela Gay. You can find show notes and transcripts for every episode at astronomycast.com. You can email us at info at astronomycast.com, tweet us at astronomycast, like us on Facebook, or circle us on Google+. We record our show live on YouTube every Friday at 1.30 p.m. Pacific, 4.30 p.m. Eastern, or 20.30 GMT. If you missed the live event, you can always catch up over at cosmoquest.org or on our YouTube page. To subscribe to the show, point your podcatching software at astronomycast.com slash podcast.xml or subscribe directly from iTunes. If you would like to listen to the full unedited episode, including the live viewers' questions and answers, you can subscribe to astronomycast.com slash feed slash full raw. Our music is provided by Travis Searle, and the show was edited by Chad Weber. This episode of Astronomy Cast was made possible thanks to donations by people like you. Please give by going to patreon.com slash astronomycast.